Exodus 20.15. And the eighth commandment is, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. You know, I don't always catch on too quick. I'm kind of known to not catch on too quick to a lot of things. But I walked into my little duplex apartment and I flipped on the lights. And the first thing I noticed is that all over the floor there were hundreds, I mean more than a hundred, I didn't count, but hundreds, let's say, of half-burned matches all over the floor. And I thought, what are all these half-burned matches doing on the floor in my duplex? And I didn't quite get it until I looked up off the floor and noticed some wires sticking up where my roommate's really expensive stereo used to be. And then I realized that somebody had been in my little apartment as a college student and they didn't want to turn on the lights and be seen hauling stuff away. So they were striking matches just to be able to see enough of what they wanted to steal. And I mean everything of value was gone. Now, the good news is, is I was in college and didn't have many things of true value at that time. My roommate, on the other hand, was the one who had, was the kind of the techie, had all the equipment and the stereo and everything, and it was all gone. I immediately thought of my new prized possession, the pair of cowboy boots I had just purchased in that summer in Wyoming. I was a wrangler on a dude ranch, and I ran back, and oh, my cowboy boots were gone. Everything was gone. What kind of a person would do this? I mean, I'd had somebody steal something from me before, you know, but I had never had anybody just break in and, and just steal like this, rob us like that. And I, I want you to know, I felt angry inside. I felt violated. I felt helpless. And I thought to myself, what level of determination did it take? To light 150 matches, what level? I mean, these people were serious to haul out the back door all of this equipment and all of these things. What kind of person would do this? Now, has anything ever like that happened to you? Ray, I'm going to get you, I'm going to do a few polls here this morning. Um, have you, raise your hand if you've ever been robbed. Yeah, see, in the early service, it was even a higher percentage. A lot of people have been robbed. How did you feel when somebody robbed you? Now, the question of the Eighth Commandment, however, is not have you been robbed. The question of the Eighth Commandment, unfortunately, is how many of you have stolen something this year? How many of you have stolen something this year? And I'm going to say right now, bet you have. You know, that's what's hard about these Ten Commandments sermons. You go, hey, I had, oh, I hate it when that happens. This is about the heart. Let me tell you, you're all little thieves, okay? Including the guy preaching to you. So just go ahead and buckle your seatbelt. Yes, you have. Commandment number eight, you shall not steal. So I want us to look at what this thing called stealing is and and why God says that we are not to steal. You all know what stealing is. Stealing is, simply put, taking something that does not 
belong to you. And a part of us just thinks, what cut of humanity would steal, would break into somebody's house and steal, would, you know, petty theft. You know, we were in a foreign country one time and just watching people pick people's pockets. And I said, what craziness is this? And there's all these words we have in our culture for stealing. For instance, people who steal people, what's that called? Kidnapping. That's right. In fact, this particular command has reference to kidnapping, interestingly, in the Hebrew. Um, if you steal a car, what do we call that? Grand theft auto. All right. If you steal with a gun, what do you call that? Armed robbery, thank you very much, Hap, I saw you over there. Armed robbery. Um, some stealing is in the terms of fraud. And there's a lot of fraud going on today. Some of it happens over the telephone. There was an elderly couple in our church in Alabama, and they had just come to the church, and you know, we went to see them, and they were just in tears because almost their entire retirement had just been lost to a telephone scam. If you have really senior citizen parents, or if you do not let them answer and deal with people with their money over the telephone, that is exactly what happened to them. Well, you know, one of the big things that we deal with today is called identity theft. That's serious business. You don't, you don't come back from identity theft in a day, a week, a month. I mean, it is serious. And this is my other poll. I want to ask you, and it was fascinating in the first service, how many of you know somebody personally, not have heard about, but know somebody personally that has been the victim of identity theft? Y'all see that? Look around. That's a lot of stealing going on in our culture. Thou shalt not steal. And then, of course, there is what we have come to know on the evening news as white-collar crime, white-collar fraud or theft. I mean, just when we were rolling into the recession that we're now in, we were learning these names, Abramoff, Madoff. Just when people were losing in the stock market tons of money and high percentages, when people were losing their jobs, people named Madoff were making off with millions and millions of dollars. And then there is, in our litigious society, the tendency to sue people unjustly just to shake money out of them. There's a whole lot of stealing going on in our culture. What cut of humanity would steal? Well, I don't know. Were you totally, absolutely honest on your taxes this year? If you weren't, you're a thief. Do you use postage at work for personal use, you little thief? Or the telephone, beyond needed communication for your work? Oh, I don't know what kind of people would steal. Do you share a salad bar? <laughs> the 
thief. <laughs> Have you ever walked up to a newspaper box when somebody opened it and it was not shut yet and there was a free paper? And rather than putting 50 cents in the box, you took the paper. I'm sure you have never done that. Have you ever scratched somebody's car without telling them that you did it? Guess what? You just either cost their insurance company or them because they have such high deductibles that they had to pay it. You stole. You should pay for what you did. Have you ever not left a tip for a server? And most of the people I know that are waiting tables probably need the money more than most of the people eating in the restaurant being waited on. You leave less than 20%. You've stolen some wages from those people. Have you ever borrowed something and not returned it? I know you meant to, but you still, it's still not yours. Have you ever downloaded a copy, uh, a song that's copyrighted without paying for it? Okay, I'm going to meddling now. I know that. Time is a very precious commodity. It's not just money. You know, do you just monopolize somebody's time when they really could give it to a lot of other people than you? You're stealing the time that could be given to other people. Single people, I want you to think about this one, okay? This is called defraud. Do you show interest in someone of the opposite sex just so you can get some attention from them, lead them to believe that you want a relationship and then drop them? When somebody else comes along, you, you know what you stole? You stole their heart. And a heart's not a good thing to steal. Have you ever spoken evil of another person? Have you ever gossiped about another person without knowing the facts? Have you not? Stolen their reputation. We are thieves. Thou shalt not steal is not just about those people that break into duplexes, light 150 matches, and haul out stereo systems. We are thieves, but, but this is not just about the action of taking something that doesn't belong to, to us. This is, as all the commandments are, this is about what our hearts really want and what we are willing to do to get it. Let me say that again. This is about what our hearts really want and what we are willing to do to get it. You see, stealing is important. Stealing made God's top ten. Uh, there's a debate sometimes in culture about whether private property is a good thing or not. I don't know where you fall on that. If you live here, you probably think it's a good thing, but I'll tell you it's a biblical thing. There are enormous parts of the Old Testament that deal with the fact that we are to possess certain things like property, like herds, other things. So possessions are not an unbiblical thing. The, the, the biblical restriction on possessions is that you don't love them so much that they possess you and you, and you, you don't forget the kingdom and forget the poor when, when, when you have possessions, you see. But there are lots of scriptures that deal with all these boundary markers of, of property that belongs to certain families. There's, there's all this stuff about herds and, and all this personal property. And basically there's lots of instruction in the Old Testament about what stealing looks like and, and, and what the punishment for stealing is, you see. 
God's very serious about this. Um, are you familiar with what's called the case law of the Old Testament? In the book of Exodus, in the book of Deuteronomy, these are actual cases of things that have gone wrong. Somebody has transgressed somebody else. And the case law is, if, when this happens, here's what you do. And if they don't repent, you do this. And this is how they make restitution. I'd like to uh, read just one example. This is Exodus 22 verses 1 and 3. This is just two chapters past the Ten Commandments where we are. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it. Okay, so you stole somebody else's ox or his sheep, you slaughtered it or you sold it, he must pay back, listen to this, five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Now I have no clue why, it's five for oxen and four for sheep, but God knows, and that's what it is. Um, verse 3, a thief must certainly make restitution, but if he has nothing, in other words, if he had nothing and stole this, this oxen or sheep, if he has nothing, how serious is this? He must sell himself into slavery for a period of time to pay back five oxen worth and five sheep. You think God's serious about stealing? Thou shalt not steal. Commandment 8. Now, I think we need to ask the question, why do we steal? Because we do. We, we're all little thieves. We steal because we are thieves. We don't become thieves when we steal. Why do we do it? Well, it's because, basically, of what our hearts really want and what we'll do to get it. Uh, we convince ourselves that we need things. Worse than that, we convince ourselves that we deserve things and or, and or people. And uh, so we take them. And wouldn't you agree with me that in America, in particular, we, we really struggle as much as anywhere else, and have come to believe that we are what we have. And if we don't have, then we're nobody. You know, are we really equal to what we have? Are we? You know that that's not true. You know in your heart that's not true, right? It's the way we function. It's the way we judge other people. By what they have, what they drive, the way they dress all these other things. As one man said, and I'm just kind of in the middle of a rant, I deserve more, he says. What I'm getting is simply not fair. I need to look good to other people, and so I will get more. Everyone else is doing it. Why not me? Why not get what you can, when you can, by whatever means you can? Why not change the facts? Why not cheat a little bit? to get what you want. So we steal because of what we want. We also steal, don't we, because things are very shiny to us. You know what I mean by shiny? Um, they're shiny. They're, 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 there's an allure of them. Um, but I'm going to tell you, they at least appear shiny to us, but we grab after these things whether it's legitimate or illegitimate, hoping against hope that they will just bring some kind of lasting meaning, some kind of, 
of, of something to our lives, don't we? And they don't. And they can't. And we all know that too. At a fundamental level. And you know what happens? That dreaded, horrible emptiness just returns in our souls again. And there's no remedy for it if that's the game we're going to play except by getting something else. What a horrible place to be. And that is exactly the thing that drives our hearts to take what we want by whatever means possible. Do not steal, you see, is not just good for the people that would have things stolen from them. It's not just good for, the, you know, God's not doing it just to make sure there's enough oil uh, in the society where everything's not breaking down. He's not just doing it so there's some kind of civility and peace and some kind of level of civil trust between people. He is also doing it because thou shalt not steal is good for me and for you to not get in that loop of, our, of what our hearts demand and, and the a constant need to take. In the Eighth Commandment, God wants to move us from stealing to sharing. Now, have you noticed as we've looked at the commandments, there's always kind of the prohibition, thou shalt not. But there's always, in God's grace, the idea of if it's not this, so what does God want to, us to live into? And in this case, it's, he doesn't want us to get into this kind of heart treadmill of insatiable emptiness through wanting and wanting and stealing and taking. Instead, He wants us to move into a place with God where our cup overflows, where we actually get to a place where we share. And we want to give and not just take. I'd like you to turn to Ephesians 4.28. As much as any text in the Bible it is the text that pulls together the idea of not stealing and therefore sharing. Romans 4, 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. That's the Eighth Commandment. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, do something useful with his hands, so that he may have something to share to those who are in need. In other words, to just get what you want at any cost, regardless, because you got to have it. Uh-uh. Let's work. Let's have legitimate earning, legitimate possessions. Let's let the Lord bless that kind of, of effort and let the Lord give us enough that we can actually share. And not only share, but you see, share with those who are in need. One of the great ways to demonstrate the reality of God's grace in our lives is to deny ourselves, deny what we want, as Jesus said, deny ourselves, follow Him, and to share. I uh, was my, in my second year of seminary, and I went into the dean of students' office, and he said, Joseph... I want to send you uh, this summer to be a summer intern in the North Carolina mountains. Woohoo! That was all all about that. So they they sent me. I was their very first intern. They just scraped up enough money, and they wanted me to come be their youth minister, which was probably a disaster more than you realize. But um, anyway, I uh, moved to the North Carolina mountains to a place called Dillingham, North Carolina, unincorporated in Appalachia. If you go up the 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 um, 
Blue Ridge Parkway, it's just one of those valleys down where there's nothing. I mean, you've got to really want to get to Dillingham, North Carolina. The little church uh, held about 80 people. It was built literally by the men who went into Dillingham Creek, which ran by the church, took rocks out of the creek, and hand-built the church. This was Appalachia, mountain people. And I was a deep southern person. And um, I grew up knowing about poor people. I went to the soup kitchen. I went down and did something nice for the poor people. Got my photo op with them so I could show I was a merciful person. I had no clue growing up what it was actually like to live in that situation. And so Reformed Theological Seminary here in Jackson sent me to live in that situation. And I will never forget the first Sunday I was there, I was invited to go over to one of the leaders in the church, their home. And, and you know, those folks' home were mobile or immobile. And if they were immobile, that means they built it. Or their father or their grandfather before them built it. And, and those folks had very, very little. Some of the conditions weren't just simple, they were rough. And what I found when I went into that first house and every house after that for the entire summer blew me away. I would walk into that house, and when I walked out, I would have an armful of stuff. Now, Sunday dinner, those people have gardens. And chickens running around. Sunday dinner was sumptuous. I'm sorry if, you, if I just traumatized you about the chicken, but uh, Sunday dinners were sumptuous in Appalachia. And man, when it was time to go, I mean, they were sticking food and vegetables and not just that, but granny's pickled everything in my, <laughs> my hands. And, and my first instinct was to not take it, which is a bad thing, by the way. I felt badly that these folks who obviously did not have a lot were, were giving me, and they would have none of that. And you know, I found people there who didn't seem to need much. First time in my life I'd ever been around people that didn't seem to need much, and they were better for it. And I, and I was sent out from Jackson, Mississippi, and I will tell you, in no uncertain terms, those by and large, were happier people than a lot of the people I know in Jackson, Mississippi. And they just kind of love to give stuff away more than having a target on the next thing they had to have or not be significant as a person. And I saw all this, and I prayed to God. It just broke me down. I said, God, I would like to be more like that. And I will tell you, I'm not as much like that as those people to this day. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you really shared something substantial with another human being? When was the last time that you shared something important to you, with someone else, with a charitable organization, a church, whatever, because answering that question will answer a lot 
about where you are and where I am with the Eighth Commandment. See, the Eighth Commandment isn't just stay away from that stealing. The Eighth Commandment has to do with our hearts and what we really want and therefore what we what links we will go to to get what we want. We want the best stuff for ourselves, yes? I mean, that's just part of being an American, isn't it? We want the best stuff for ourselves, but what do we share? I had a friend, I, 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 I talked about this in the Wednesday night when we did the thing on money. Uh, when the recession broke out, we decided to teach on money here at the church. Um, I had a friend, and we were great friends in, in, in our church in Alabama, and, uh, and I wouldn't have said this to anybody if I didn't know them. So please, I'm not a mean person, okay? I want, I want to preface this by saying I would not be this rough with somebody that I didn't know. But my, my dear, dear friend came and he had this grin on his face. And he said, Joseph, we just bought the newest, greatest VHS player for our children. And uh, that was back before DVDs, so that dates everybody. Um, and I want to give my old one to the church. I said, that's fine. He goes, by the way, it doesn't work. <laughs> now, remember, he's a friend. Fellow elder. I said, dude, we don't want your broken VCR. Give us the new one. <laughs> we can't show VeggieTales on this. Because it doesn't work. Give us the new one or fix the cotton-picking VCR and give it to the church. You know, he was like, I got it. He went, got that thing fixed. It's probably still working, you know. I'll never forget my, my friend Ray Cortez. He was speaking on generosity one time, and I heard him say this. He said, and I love this, he says, have you ever been to the the, the church charity food pantry, you know, the, the place where the canned goods and everything is. He says, have you ever been to the church charity food pantry? He says, it is filled with garbanzo beans. There's very little steak in the church charity. And you know, that's, that's well put. Why is it there's steak? You see what I'm saying? When was the last time you gave up something you really wanted to somebody else, and particularly, as Ephesians 4 says, to somebody who needed it? Ouch. God wants to move us from stealing and having to have and, and grasping to being more overflowing and giving. I tell you who helps us best of all, of course, is Jesus. If you turn to Matthew six nineteen, it's probably one of the most famous passages on our hearts in, in relation to the, the things we think we need. In Jesus' words, it all comes down to what we treasure in our hearts. What we treasure in our hearts is going gonna, is gonna to kind of actuate what happens in our lives. Here's a, here's a question you, you might want to think about. Do we really want, what do we really want our hearts to want? That's the question Jesus is asking. Let me say that, it's probably confusing. What do we really want our hearts to want? Did y'all catch that? Here's the way Jesus put it. Jesus is a lot more simple than I am. 
do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where, as I found out, thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, meaning serving Christ, living out the kingdom, giving to what is more eternal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, he says, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then verse 21, for where your treasure is, can you say it with me? There your heart will be also. Life does not consist in what we have. Life consists in who we have. And what love and care and generosity we have from Him. A heart heart that believes in the goodness of God, rooted in the grace of God. Jesus went into all kinds of passages about how we're greater than birds, greater than lilies. How intensely focused He is upon giving us what we need, but a heart finding satisfaction in the love of God and in the kingdom of God and and overflowing to sharing, that, that heart does not as much feel the need quite so much to steal. Quite so much to just have the next target. So the commandment isn't just stop stealing. You know, Every morning, say to myself, I'm not going to steal, I'm not going to steal, I'm not going to steal. And then after that, say, I'm going to share, I'm going to share, I'm going to share. That's, that's, that's not exactly what's happening. Jesus is saying, no, 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 I tell you what, that's not going to work. Start treasuring. Ask yourself what you want your heart to want. And ask the Lord to begin to line up our hearts with the kingdom of heaven, with sharing, with giving. If only we would believe in that treasure. If, if only we would rest in the arms of that one who loves us. If, if only we would ask what really will bring meaning to our life and what won't, you see. So we, we need to realize that we're a thief. But we're not called to simply do better. Stop stealing. It is a call for us to see who our Savior is and how desperately we who are thieves and therefore we steal need the work of God in our hearts and need for God to change our hearts. As Paul went into a lengthy, detailed explanation in the book of Galatians about the function of the law of God, that the law of God not only shows us the, the holiness and reveals the bankruptcy of our hearts and our true tendencies, and how they do not line up with God's holy and gracious character. But the law of God, because we cannot follow it perfectly, takes us right by the hand and leads us to the one who has lived it perfectly on our behalf. The one who will give us grace. The one, if we will commit our hearts to Him, have put our faith, our trust in Him, walk in love with Him and ask Him to to help us want what He would want us to want. He, he can change our hearts. 
We're thieves. We must have our hearts changed. After all, it is no accident that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. Was he not? One of them said, We deserve what we're getting. He has done nothing. Lord, would you remember me when you enter paradise? But the one who did nothing died on that cross for your stealing and my stealing so that thieves could be loved forever and have that relationship so that our cup could run over in a relationship with Christ and that we might have true riches in him and share. Commandment eight, you shall not steal. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, that's just a lot for us because the law just takes us to the woodshed. Some of us know in our hearts we need to go there. Others of us don't want to go there. Lord, would you create willingness for the law, commandment eight, to show us the true nature of our hearts? Would you cause us to turn to you, oh Jesus, in your sacrifice? If you've never put your trust in what Christ has done for you on the cross, you'd like to, just pray with me, Lord, I I see it. I, I, I can't be that person that's accepted by God. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and paid for my sin, took the penalty for it already, and I turn away from everything else that I've called Christianity. Everything else I've called religion. I've put my trust in you. Lord, would you open my heart up to your love, your grace. Would you give me a taste in my soul of of things that are gracious and true? Would you cause my cup to overflow? Would you cause me to not need as much that I might give more? Would you cause me to see the vanity that I'm so easily ensnared in? Lord, would you hear, and and maybe this is something you want to pray, the repentance of people who know you and love you and, and yet are just caught in that treadmill. Lord, would you set us free by your grace and would you fill us with the belief, at least, that reality and meaning and satisfaction come from you and not things. We pray that we do look forward to that day when we're in heaven, when it will all be made apparent and there will be just abundance without the struggle. And we thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.